So ultimately, my goal here, right, for having the chef is providing better care. By having the chef, my caregivers focus on best quality of care, right? There are some days where it's just hard. They're having a hard time with some of the residents. And if they have to do that and be in the kitchen, it makes it for a disaster of a day. So if they can just focus on the grandmas and there's managers there to back them up, the chef focuses all on the kitchen. He's doing the cooking and the cleaning in the kitchen. He's doing all the dishes, he's prepping, he's doing all the ordering. The kitchen is his or her domain. I have a better option than the dinky RAL. Let me show you how to create a luxury new construction mansion of an assisted living. When I started out in assisted living, nobody had a roadmap for how to build and operate a luxury assisted living. I'm here to document my journey as I grow my business and provide you tips and strategies for you to succeed. Welcome back to Assisted Living Investing with me, your host, Brett Schottkavis. I own and operate Platinum Resort Assisted Living and Memory Care with my wife, Laura, and we have created a beautiful life for our family by using this investment vehicle. We're able to make 500 grand a year and work two to four hours a week. So part of that is because of our income, right? I am a huge proponent that you wanna have six figures a month in income, right? Not in profit, but in income, being able to charge that much for rents from your grandmas and grandpas. And so I wanna talk to you about one component of that today. How do you get higher rents and how do you have a better product? And that goes back to hiring a chef, having a professional chef at your assisted living. So I wanna break that down to you today. Why should you have one? What are all the numbers on this person? Who should you hire and when should you hire them? So I think that hiring a chef is vital. If you wanna have a high-end, a luxury product, if you wanna offer all the care and amenities that you could get at the Big Smelly facility, you need a chef, right? Like. That's ultimately what my goal is. How do I say to the daughter when she tours, hey, I can offer everything that you can get at that 100 bed, right? But we're 16 beds, it's private room, it's more intimate, we have a salon, we have management, we have nursing and hospice and everything that you can get over there, I can do it here, but I can do it better, I can do it more intimate. One of the key components to that is the chef. Right at end of life, you're not really not going out and 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 going shopping and going to the mall and and you know hitting Target and things like that. The food is like the biggest highlight of your day, and it is also the biggest complaint with assisted living and end of life care. Right, like usually the food is so bad. So I want to talk to you about today about a system for hiring a chef because ultimately this is how you can increase your bed rates by offering everything that the family wants for mom at the end of life. So if you did not have a chef, right, if you had a smaller assisted living, that ultimately means that you or your managers or most likely the caregivers are doing all the cooking. They're prepping the food, they're serving the food, they're doing the dishes, and I tell you what, that is a lot of dishes, right? If you got 16 grandmas and grandpas like I do, and you have staff and, and managers that you're cooking for, Man, it might take an hour and a half to clean the kitchen and put all those dishes away, right? That is a lot of time that you're pulling your caregivers off the floor, that they are not now taking care of the grandmas and grandpas. And that's really my objective. My number one priority is how do I provide the best of the best care, right? Second to that is I wanna have awesome food. 
So for me to focus on the care, I need my caregivers out of the kitchen, which means I need a chef in there. So if you're just starting out, if you open a new assisted living, when should you get a chef, right? At how many beds do you need this? So for us, we have the 16 bed. We had a wait list before we even got our license, right? We had a bunch of grandmas ready to move in. They were all gonna give a 30 day and come out of all the local big smelly facilities. So for us, we hired the chef within just a few weeks of opening. As our grandmas were, were trickling in over the first two months, giving their 30 days, we're filling up our mansion. We hired that chef when we got to about seven or eight residents in, right? So during that first month or so, it was realistically the manager cooking for the grandmas. And when you had only three to six grandmas, it was pretty easy, right? It's like they only eat half portion sizes. It was really just good cooking for your family. And so that was no big deal. Right? You don't have to have a chef day one. If you are not stabilized yet, if you're just opening, you don't have to start with that chef, but you have a manager. I would for sure start with the manager. So have that manager do that because they still have plenty of time in their day to handle these things. And really you can start by not having a bunch of scratch made items. You can kind of structure your menu during that transition time to have some easy kind of prep items. So the next question is who should we hire? What kind of person are we looking for? Who is our ideal avatar for this potential chef or cook? And I like to use the term chef, but that does not mean that they are actually a chef, right? Like they're not running their own restaurant as far as their experience, right? You don't need someone who has that level of experience because ultimately, you know, you're going to have to pay 80,000 or more to have like a professional chef. You just really need a cook, right? A good cook and experience is really important. Ultimately, I want to find someone who's worked a line before. They've worked in a restaurant. They've worked in a big facility. I really had the hardest time when I hired someone who was just out of culinary school. They come in with their chef coat and their knives and they think they are the jam. They know everything, right? They just got their certificate from culinary school and I can take care of this. I can run this kitchen. Those people, in my experience, have failed utterly, right? Like time management is not there. They know the theory of it. They do not know how to cook for 20 people and drop everything at the right time, right? Like they are always way behind schedule. So for me, I will only hire people with experience. And if you've worked a restaurant line where you're putting out plates every couple minutes, that's perfect. We need fast paced experience. Now we are not going to be fast paced, but that is the experience that is necessary in order to get the job done. So in my experience, I found the best candidates are cooks who came from the big facilities. When you're there, I mean, you're usually short staffed, right? It's usually one or two cooks and they're cooking for like 60 people. Maybe they get a dishwasher if they're lucky. But a lot of times we hire people on and this big facility has one or two people dropping food for the assisted living and the independent living and the memory care, and they're overworked and their quality is really low. Their quantity is really high, but their quality of plating and presentation and putting the time and effort into it is really low. So I like to take those people who have the skill set, the time management to be able to drop 60 plates at one time. They know how to hustle. And I want to take those people with that experience and say, okay, I want you to slow down, right? You're not cooking for 60 anymore. You're just going to cook for 16, right? I want you to focus on quality, take all that energy and time management skills that you have, and now slow it down, dial it in. Every plate looks perfect. Garnishes is, is, is there. 
I want you to, to upgrade what you have been doing. And ultimately, those people come in and are really, really successful. They come into the mansion with 16 grandmas and grandpas, and they're like, this is easy. This is a cakewalk. So I've done this job before. When we were going through COVID and our chef couldn't come in for two weeks, I filled in and took care of that role, right? It is actually a really easy role if you know how to cook, if you can manage your time. But ultimately, people with no experience and no time management in the kitchen and with plating, they really struggle with this. You can give them 10 hours and they can't get four hours of work done if you don't have this experience. So I wanna stress how important it is that you find someone who's worked the line who has a lot of experience busting out a lot of plates and a lot of food and really just control the environment, give them a structure and set them up to succeed. So next, let's talk about the interview process because you can say you can cook and sometimes you can show some photos, but I wanna actually see, right? So usually we will do a two day interview process. We'll come in, we'll meet with the chef, um, him or her, I would expect them to come in with their chef clothes. Usually they have their knife set there. They're like ready to work. And they'll interview with myself or Laura, they may interview with our managers, and we'll just talk to them, learn about their experience. And then ultimately, if we are vibing well, we'll invite them back the next day, or sometimes it's like, hey, let's just do this now. And I ask them to go into the kitchen and they cook for us. So usually I always do omelets because everyone can do an omelet, but eggs are one of those things where it's like, you can do it, but is it gonna be dry? Is it gonna be runny? Like when you master an egg, like it's, it's a skill right there, right? So you can really tell a cook's skill, I think really well with an omelet. So usually we'll just have the chef make like three or four omelets. It's, it's you know, myself or Laura, it's whatever managers are working that day. And we just take orders, right? Like I want chopped up bell peppers and bacon and sausage, right? And he's got like however much time it takes him, half hour, he's dicing everything up, he's sauteing it and he's making omelets to order. So during that time, I usually tell the chef like, hey, here, I'm going to be judging you on your presentation and on the way the food tastes. So a lot of times during this time, I'm kind of just hovering nearby and I may be talking to them during this, continuing to interview them. And I'm really just watching the way they cook. And you can really see someone's skill set just in their patterns of how they work the pans and the spatulas and things like that. Are they sloppy? Are they spilling all over the floor and stepping on eggs? Right, like you can see a lot just by that 30 minutes of the having them make an omelet for you. And then, so I let them know like, hey, I'm gonna be judging this on presentation. And some people will ask, okay, well, what plates do you want me to use? Do you have garnish? Do you have parsley? Can I cut up this orange and garnish a plate with that? Can I put little salsas in a ramekin for you, right? Like they make it nice. And you know, that's really what I'm looking for. I want my shelf to go above and beyond. I want them to take the common foods and make them look upscale. Right, and some people, they kind of just slop it on a plate. And it doesn't matter if the omelet tastes good, if they just slopped it on the plate and there's no garnish and it's, you know, it's kind of runny, they didn't wipe the edges. That's not my chef, right? I am not looking for them because I am running an elevated, a luxury mansion, right? End of life care, and part of that is food. Food is love, right? Like this is how you share your love if you're a chef. You put it all on the plate. And I want someone to, for that passion to come through. So after we find someone we like, we invite them back to start. And training is usually just a couple days. And when I say that, it's really more about structure because you can't teach people how to cook. I don't provide recipes. I don't think that's the best way to go. If you don't know how to make this thing, then you are not my cook, right? Like you need to know how to cook and you don't have to know everything. It's totally fine to look it up on your phone, but you shouldn't expect me to provide you a recipe guide for everything that I wanna cook, right? 
Like that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to micromanage you. I want to give you a system and a structure and then give you guidelines so that you can succeed in that structure. So really the first day when I'm training a new chef, I'm just hovering around and giving them the structure. Here's what's going to happen, right? Like you're going to get here, you're beginning your shift. You're going to prep your station, get your food temps ready. You're going to start prepping for lunch. I want lunch served at noon. You're going to do dessert. You're going to prep for tomorrow's breakfast. I want dinner served at uh, five. Right? I'm going through and I'm giving them a structure and a guideline. I'm showing them the chart of here is your checklist. Here's what you need to do hour by hour and what the expectation is. And really, I'm letting them do it. I don't think that I need to come in and have them shadow me as I'm making food for the residents, right? I don't want to do that. That's not my job. I'm the owner. And even now, I don't do this, right? My managers now take over and they train on the structure and the systems. Ultimately, if your cook can't do this on their own, if you can't give them a list of here's what we're having for breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, you know, here's when it's going to be ready. Here's where all your plates and your, all your utensils are, right? Like if they can't do that, then you need to find the right person because that may not be the right person. So let's talk about pay for these chefs. We currently right now in 2024 are paying $20 an hour. And we started uh, pre-COVID, pre-inflation, and we were at, I believe, 16. And then it rapidly increased from there. So right now, we may probably bump pretty soon to about 22. But right now, that's where we're at. The chef usually works about 40 to 45 hours a week. Most of his shifts are about eight and a half hours long. So he works five days a week and then he preps for his other two days off. So during those two days, the fridge is full. He's prepped sandwiches, he's prepped soups, he's prepped casseroles. We may order pizza or Chinese takeout on one of those evenings, but ultimately he, I don't need him there seven days a week, right? One chef coming in seven days a week or trying to juggle two chefs, splitting that shift doesn't seem to work out if you just have one building. So I think it's simple enough and it's very easy on my budget to have one chef working full time and then prepping for those other two days off. And ultimately, we want to make it as easy as possible on those other two days off. So honestly, we have paper plates and we're making it super easy where our caregivers don't have to do dishes, where they're really staying out of the kitchen. It's very plug and play items that they can easily throw into the oven and reheat. So let's talk about what the food is like, right? Like, I want to have an upscale assisted living, but that does not mean I'm serving foie gras and lamb chops and things like that, right? I want to take the food that the grandmas like to eat, that they grew up on, and I want to elevate it. So we have a lot of things like grilled meats, vegetables, salmon, salads, roast, things like that, hearty foods that they love, right? And then the plating is fantastic. I have four different types of plates. I got rounds, I have wooden plates, I got rectangles, so that ultimately it looks like they're going to a restaurant, right? It doesn't look like they're in the assisted living having the same plates every day. So most of our grandmas, they eat normal food, food that I love, right? Like food that they love, food that everybody eats. There's not really a bunch of baby food, right? Like as you get to some special dietary needs, we have people who have diabetes, they have special dietary needs. Sometimes you get where you have trouble chewing or swallowing and you have a chop order or a puree order, right? But that's not that common, right? We have out of our 16 grandmas, maybe two or so that have special dietary things. So ultimately, it's really easy for our chef to memorize exactly what people like and what they don't like. He knows who doesn't like fish, right? Every time salmon's on the menu, he's just, he knows he's making chicken for this person, right? Like it's easy to handle this when you only have 16 people. But let's talk about the structure. Ultimately, you have three meals, right? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe you count dessert in there. Okay, so you got these four meals, and the chef only has, you know, roughly an eight, eight and a half hour day. 
So if you have breakfast in the morning and you have dinner about 10 hours later, that's not enough time, right? I don't want my chef working a 12-hour day. So really, I think you have a choice here. You can do two meals live and then one meal prepped, meaning you can prep breakfast and serve lunch and dinner live or the opposite. You can serve breakfast and lunch live and then prep dinner. So I do see people doing both options. I see them doing serving breakfast, coming in, making fresh eggs and bacon and stuff like that, and then serving lunch live and then prepping casseroles or soups for dinner. I really dislike that. I don't think that's the best way to go. I want to do the opposite option. I want to have more of a continental style breakfast and then my chef comes in, everyone eats lunch at 12, everyone eats dinner at 5, he drops dessert a few um, minutes later at like 5.20, he cleans the station, breaks down, and he's done for the day around 6.30. But you can do either or, and I think that from a practical standpoint, with the care as the highest priority, that it's better to do lunch and dinner live and prep breakfast. So during the shift between lunch and dinner, he will prep a hot breakfast item for the following day. So ultimately our breakfast is more continental style. Every single day, there's fruit, fresh fruit that's been prepped, and there is some type of hot item that our caregivers are throwing in the warming drawer or in the oven ready to serve. But really from a practical perspective, as you're getting your grandmas and grandpas up, it's usually one at a time, right? Like I have two caregivers, they're each going and getting one of the residents, brushing their hair, brushing their teeth, getting them dressed, giving their meds, and taking them to the table. So we have the fruit, the coffee, everything's already ready. They set the grandma at the table and then they bring over, here's your hot item. Or sometimes they just want yogurt or sometimes hard boiled eggs, whatever it is. But they can do that two at a time, right? Bring the breakfast, then go back to the residence, get the next group of residents ready, bring them out to the table, give them their meds, give them their breakfast. Because ultimately some people want to get up early and some people want to sleep in. So I don't think it's best to say, hey, every morning at eight o'clock we're serving a hot breakfast, right? Like trying to get all the grandmas ready with that big morning routine is not a practical thing, right? It's very hard on your caregiver. So I'm coming from the perspective of the chef is here to benefit my caregivers, right? Making their jobs easier. So from that perspective, I want him to prep breakfast where they can do it two at a time. They're getting grandmas up, they're giving them their coffee, their orange juice, their breakfast, and then they're off to the next one, right? And some grandmas want to sleep in, and some grandmas have medications earlier scheduled, some have later scheduled, so it kind of makes sense this way. This way, he can come in around 9.30 after breakfast is done, prep the kitchen, start making lunch, lunch is served hot live at noon, then he has time again to prep the next day's breakfast, and then he serves dinner live at 5 o'clock, then drops dessert, then clears all the plates, right? And then he cleans up his station, he's done for the day. So ultimately, my goal here, right, for having the chef is providing better care. By having the chef, my caregivers focus on best quality of care, right? There are some days where it's just hard. They're having a hard time with some of the residents. And if they have to do that and be in the kitchen, it makes it for a disaster of a day. So if they can just focus on the grandmas and there's managers there to back them up, the chef focuses all on the kitchen. He's doing the cooking and the cleaning in the kitchen. He's doing all the dishes. He's prepping. He's doing all the ordering. The kitchen is his or her domain. It splits up the job duties so that ultimately my grandmas get the best care. 
I can say to the daughter, hey, you know what? Instead of going to the big facility, come over to our mansion, right? Because you got your own private chef. The caregivers are here to handle your, your mom. I can increase my income and really decrease the amount of issues and drama that fall onto my plate as the owner. So if you want to learn more about hiring the chef, go to our website, palm.university, hit the download section. I have a free chef checklist. Everything that I teach my chef and I train on, it's there. So thank you for joining me today. I will see you on the next one.